Quick heads up, today's episode of Mouthful deals with issues of sexual harassment and contains explicit language. From Philadelphia Young Playwrights, this is Mouthful. I'm Trine Nuri. Every week, we'll be having a complicated conversation with a young person about the things that matter to them, things that they have written about and shared on stages across the city. And then we'll go out into the community and talk to teens, adults, experts, anyone who can broaden the conversation. You never really know what people are going through just by looking at them. Some of us have gone through some really traumatic experiences and have bottled up emotions for years. And simply telling a close friend, parents, or even a school administrator isn't always easy especially when they don't believe you. In that case, where would you turn? I was just kind of angry, and writing, I feel like, is the best way to get out your anger. That's Dory Hoffman. Her monologue, War Paint, is the inspiration for today's complicated conversation about sexual harassment. My teacher said write about something that you feel really passionate towards, and so I wrote about that. Many young people, like Dory, are saying, me too. In fact, Dory wrote her monologue before the movement. Let's listen to War Paint, performed by Donovan Lockett, live at the 2018 Mouthful Monologue Festival. When I walk into battle, I smear colors across my face, hiding my fears and pretending my cheeks are Picasso's canvas. As long as my skin is covered, I can't be hurt or scarred. Bullets bounce off my legs and my arms and my hands and my heart, and all I feel is a slight earthquake. And when I stand up and brush myself off, I know there's nothing broken, just a little internal disarray. So when I see you, I dip my hands into the buckets filled with every color of the rainbow. I press my palms to my forehead, to my eyelids, to my lips, and only then, once every part of me has been protected, am I able to walk past you. That doesn't stop my ears from listening as you describe my ass, my boobs, the way I walk, things you do to me if you had the chance. But of course, you knew that. See, we make eye contact, you and I. We make eye contact every single time. And I hope with every colored particle within me that you not only catch a glimpse of the rainbow on my face, but that you are blinded by it. See, my war paint doesn't leave survivors. It's the baddest bitch in town and has more resilience than you ever will. It takes back the pieces that have somehow been stolen from me curve of my hip, the crease in my elbow, the indentation above my collarbone. They become mine again. Van Gogh only sold one painting in his lifetime and didn't become famous until after he died. This 899 other paintings sat in the dark, but uh, he didn't care. His art was for him, not for those people on the streets who would Take it and tear it apart fiber by fiber. My stained hands and neck aren't for you. They're for me. My war paint 
is for looking in the mirror and realizing that my loudest battle cry is letting iridescent shades of anger and defiance and self-respect spill out of my mouth in all different shapes and sizes of all different colors. My colors. Because guess what? I'm strong. It's an echoing voice that lets the world know that I am more than just an ass or boobs or the way my hips move back and forth. And most importantly, my war paint lets you know that I don't mess around because you will never have the chance to do anything with me. When I walk into battle, I make sure you know I need business. Mouthful producer Mitchell Bloom caught up with Dory to talk about her monologue. Tell me a little bit about your monologue. Why did you write it? Okay, so I ended up writing it in November, um, and that was when there I got basically sexually um, like harassed in eighth grade. And in November this year is when I found out that he was the kid was sent home from like a school like a school abroad thing, um, and ended up getting expelled. Um, because of something he had done to another girl. So that was essentially like the beginning part of the writing process. And I wasn't really allowed to talk about it in school. So that happened when you were in eighth grade and you are a... Junior. When you say you weren't allowed to talk about it at school, what do you mean? Like I was literally told by the teacher in eighth grade, by the guidance counselor, um, like don't talk about it. Uh, she basically was like, like, try to empathize with him, um, try to see where he's coming from. The first question I was asked was, like, what were you wearing? And the second one was, like, you should empathize with him. And then, like, I was really kind of told, like, not to bring it up again. And then I was in 10th grade. Some guys in my grade, like, started, like, giving me some some problems. Um, and I told my, te- like, my the high school guidance counselor at the end of 10th grade, and I was like, hey, like, this is kind of what ha- what went down this year. Like, is there anything you can do? Because, like, in eighth grade, nothing was done. And she said no, that I would have to, like, completely be embarrassed almost and come forward and tell the entire grade what happened. Instead of, like, she's like, we can't deal with it behind the scenes. Like, you have to come forward and you can't at all. And so I was like, oh, my God. Now, the first time I was told that I couldn't talk about it, this time I was told I either can really, really talk about it and embarrass myself and, like, feel really uncomfortable or not talk about it. And, like, then I was like, well, I'm just not going to say anything because I was told not to say anything. So. so when your monologue got picked and this is what it was about, how did that make you feel? It was nice. It was like a weird feeling, I guess, because like I submitted seven around there. And it was interesting because like different ones that I wrote touched on different topics. Um, but this one, I think, was the most close to my heart. And it was just very validating, like knowing, hey, my writing isn't that bad. And hey, something that I have to say actually matters. What was it like to see it performed? I was I was really speechless. I didn't actually see like the finished product until opening night. <laughs> it was really awesome. So in, in the monologue, when you say the art was for him, meaning Van Gogh, not the people on the street who would take it and tear it apart, can you explain that to me? Okay, so originally, I guess the the writing, my first draft was like, um, War Pain is makeup. But I didn't really like that. <laughs> so it didn't end up being that. But I kept that piece in because like Van Gogh, 
his intention of artwork creating artwork wasn't okay i'm gonna make money off of this or okay like this is for everybody else to enjoy my artwork it was essentially like this is for me and he kept it in his house like he didn't let anybody see his artwork besides one painting really his painting his art was just for him it was for like him feeling like he was good him loving the artwork not not for anybody else and so i think that that's what's super crucial about like like who I am as a person like the things I do I do for me I'm not a follower I'm not someone who feels like I need to conform or I need to like change the way I am based on other people's opinions like and that's why I think being quiet about the whole situation um from eighth grade to like now is really hard for me because I'm not someone who normally is willing to just sit and be quiet what do you hope that people who hear the monologue take away from it I think it definitely depends on the audience. When I talk about it to my friends, like, I hope that they understand that, like, first of all, like, that they understand that they're awesome and, like, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can't let other people really affect you based on that. And then to some other people, like, I hope you hear it and you're like, oh, crap. You know, I shouldn't have said those things to her when she was standing there. Or maybe I should have made sure she was comfortable, you know? I don't know. I just hope different people get different things out of it. Have you ever had a conversation with with a male peer about, about this kind of thing? I've talked a little bit about it to my boyfriend and then a little bit about it to my two really close friends who are guys, but otherwise really I haven't talked about it to guys. And then the people who I have talked about it, I'm very close to. So definitely like, Oh, like I'll beat them up. <laughs> um, but I think like I haven't had the chance really to talk about it with people who would give me different opinions besides like, I support you. So now that this has happened, do you do you feel differently about any of that, or like, are you do you feel empowered or emboldened to 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 talk about it or to address it in a different way than you may have in the mean you know between a little bit, yeah. a little bit. I think because like especially with the Me Too movement, which I think I wrote this before the Me Too movement, right? But because of that, I, there was like in, in my school because of that in January, um, there was a committee like talking about sexual assault that was created by some of the teachers. I wasn't even part of it. And they actually asked me if I would talk to PYP and like see if I could arrange some kind of thing where the monologue could be read at school or like something could happen where, you know, we would talk about sexual assault. And like it was really interesting because I don't really feel comfortable yet talking about like what happened to me um, in front of my classmates because a lot of them are super judgmental. And because I didn't talk about it in the beginning, like people are going to be like, oh, she, you know, attention attention seeking, but it makes me, it definitely makes me more aware. I think of other people's situations and like, I'm more empowered to talk about it to other people. Like maybe not in my school yet, but definitely to people who hear the monologue. And like, I have a lot of family friends who heard it. And like, then they ask me what it's about. And like, I finally feel comfortable to say this, what this is what happened in eighth grade and ninth grade and 10th grade. And I might not feel comfortable yet to like confront the teacher who said that or both teachers or be able to confront like the students who did it. But I definitely feel more comfortable talking about it, which is a huge, huge help. When I heard Dory's monologue, it immediately made me think of a short film that I saw years ago called Walking Home. It was created by a filmmaker, educator, and activist named Nuela Cabral. I think a lot of power comes from telling your story, just like Dory is doing here. That's Nuela. The way I came to the movement around street harassment is the film that I made, Walking Home. When I put it online, organizers and activists started using the film in the movement, but I wasn't even aware that a movement existed at the time. When I created that film, I didn't know that movement existed. So that was my entry point to activism. That's how I got involved once I became aware of this movement. And being involved in that movement made me feel really empowered. Here's an excerpt from Walking Home. 
Please be advised, some of the language is explicit. You see me, a woman on the street, brown silky legs, small breasts, long curly hair, in a sundress, jeans, sweatshirt, doesn't matter. You don't remember me, you don't even know me, but I know you, and I know what's next. You grab my arm, you turn around and stare. You say, psst, hey, shouty. Smile. <sighs> Damn, sexy, you got a fat ass. Leave me alone, man. Just Where you going? Leave me alone. I see you on the phone, but can I interrupt you for a minute? I'd fuck the shit out of that. Oh, you don't speak? Well, fuck you then. I'm sorry, Nana. Yeah, I'm still here. Yesterday, I think you remembered me, because you called me sister when I was wearing my dashiki. But today, you call me sexy and wait for me to respond with a blush. You expect me to feel honored by your recognition. But sexy is not my name. So then you ask, what's your name? Like it matters. After all, a body doesn't need a name, does it? Nuela's film and Dory's monologue are two voices in what has become an increasingly loud chorus of Me Too's. Nuela created Walking Home back in 2009 and has since dedicated herself to working with youth around many different issues, including consent and street harassment. I knew that she would be able to provide some insights into the issue, as well as some practical tips for how to confront it and create change. My name is Nuela. It's Gaelic. I remember talking to a friend once who similarly was talking about this idea that it's like you have to put on this armor or this, this face, this mean mug. I think that's the word she used. And she said, you know, I hate that I have to, I could be feeling great. I could be having a great day. But if I'm walking down the street and I see a group of guys, I immediately have to change my face and have this mean mug on to avoid comments or harassment. Can you describe to us or explain to us what you define as street harassment? So I, just, I define street harassment as unwanted attention in public space. And I think many of us have internalized that, oh, well, this is just how it is. It is what it is. And I think what we're experiencing in this moment is a cultural shift where people are saying, no, this isn't normal. This isn't okay. Um, sexual harassment, um, sexual assault is wrong. It needs to stop and let's, we need to talk about it. If someone feels like they're being catcalled or they're experiencing some type of street harassment, what examples or what can they do to respond? I think a lot of people are creative about their responses. I was brought up being told, oh, just ignore, just ignore it. But actually, what I found is that ignoring it isn't always the safest response. The aggression escalates sometimes when you ignore it because I think in those cases the harasser feels you know that their their ego is bruised there's a lot of different ways especially um, girls and and young women but also gender queer or LGBT in the LGBT community we kind of adjust to navigate or to try to minimize street harassment obviously like we change you know we we cross the street or we'll walk a different route or we'll even police what we wear you know we can lift those those strategies up. But the strategies that we also talk about are around bystander intervention. So for example, if you see someone being harassed and you don't know them, 
but you want to do something, you could pretend you know the person. Physically stay close to what's happening. You know, make eye contact with the person who's being harassed. You might not feel comfortable intervening and in, in communicating with the person, who, the harasser, but you could stay close by and, and make sure everything you know, doesn't escalate. And when the harasser leaves, approach the person who's being harassed and say, hey, I'm sorry that happened. I was watching. Are you okay? Um, on some level, we have to we have to feel responsible for each other, take care of each other, and at, at the very least, show that we care somehow, some way. When should we start teaching young people about this topic? I think we can start talking to children about consent as soon as they're able to understand language. Um, even, for example, I know a lot of parents who are now not forcing their children to hug people they don't want to hug, you know, and it's basically you're teaching them about consent and not, you know, not shaming, not shaming children for listening to their, their inner voice or their body. So, and I, I think that obviously, you know, talking about sexual assault and rape to a five-year-old, that's a lot, but there are ways to talk about touching, for example, um, that can be really important uh, and that, that can start at a young age. I think it's just really critical to raise awareness and educate. I think a lot of times when we do these workshops in high schools in Philly, young people are eager to have these conversations because it's real. It's part of their everyday, everyday lives, but they're not given opportunities to talk, to unpack this these things in school. And a lot of the feedback we get from boys in particular is that, you know, what if, if I'm commenting on her the way she looks is because I'm giving her a compliment and I just want to talk to her. They're not thinking about the fact that you don't know this person. You don't know what they've been through and you're not entitled to their body or their personal space, period. You know, I think this this idea of this entitlement is something we really need to deal with when we talk about street harassment we're talking about a symptom of a of rape culture we're talking about a symptom of a culture that minimizes that trivializes that excuses rape and sexual violence um and so we need to provide more opportunities for young people to talk about it because i think once folks understand that this is not okay and once they hear from their peers about their their experiences, you know, monologue stories like this, a lot of them actually say, you know what, I actually think that I might have I've I've harassed people for sure, and I'm I'm going to do differently now. And so for me, that those aha moments are critical. Anything else that you want to add about war paint or about this topic that we might have missed? I just want to also commend Dory for writing this piece. The fact that she is unapologetic about owning her body, doing what makes her feel good, what makes her feel comfortable and confident, and calling out um, calling out this problem so forcefully. I think it's really powerful. It's really inspiring. And I hope that it sends the message to her peers in particular, and anyone who's listening, that we're not dealing with this anymore. We don't need to live in this world. And you can either be with us or step to the side because there's a whole movement happening. And we're saying, no, we're saying, me too. We're not alone. This is not okay. And we want to create a better world where everyone can feel safe walking down the street.
from your perspective, in what ways can we change the culture? Um, honestly, I think it's just about making people aware of what of what they're doing, of what part they play in the situation. Like the kid who in eighth grade, like he groped me three times, like at different points um, within a few months, like a couple months, and it was in front of everybody. Um, like he didn't apologize. <laughs> And I think that all I would have needed, like, of course, you can't heal anything just with an apology, but I think I just needed recognition. Like, okay, I did something wrong and I'm sorry. I think that that's the most important thing that we can change is just like apologizing. And I think that it sounds really silly and a lot of people are like, oh, but like, apology isn't going to fix anything. But I think it really does. Because I think it just means that like the person is acknowledging the fact that, you know, I screwed up. I think that the thing that we can do to like change anything right now is first just having people acknowledge something. Yeah. Dory School is holding its first ever sexual assault awareness assembly today. Her monologue War Paint will be performed as part of the event. Thanks to Dory and Noela for the conversations. Be sure to check out Noela's Walking Home film on YouTube. What'd you think of today's episode? Send us a tweet. Mouthful Philly. I'm Trinanery. Thanks for listening. Mouthful is produced by Lisa Nelson Haynes, Trinanery, and Mitchell Bloom. That's me for Philadelphia Young Playwrights. PYP is an arts education nonprofit that taps the potential of youth and inspires learning through playwriting. Mouthful is edited by yours truly. Original music for Mouthful was created by Ill Dutes. To join the Ill Movement, head on over to illdutes.com. That's I-L-L-D-O-O-T-S dot com. For episode extras and more information, visit mouthfulpodcastphilly.com. That's mouthfulpodcastphilly.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Bonus points if you write a review. Mouthful is a production of Philadelphia Young Playwrights.